Theology Thursday live, continuing our conversation, my talks on repentance, and I'm using as a jumping off point uh, this book I'm actually reading from it, The Doctrine of Repentance by um, Thomas Watson, Puritan paperbacks, published in, first published in 1668, um, but this um, Banner Truth edition, 1987. So, um, read this particular chapter, chapter 8, and it talks about, um, it says, Exhortations to Speedy Repentance is the, um, the, um, the title of this chapter. And um, <clears throat> it threw me for a little bit of a loop here because it's like I started to disagree with some of what he's saying. It's like, uh, it doesn't sound like the... Um, um, idea of regeneration and um, irresistible grace, things like this that uh, is particularly in Reformed and biblical theology that Puritans would preach. And so you're going to see as we go through this, is it, 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 like it didn't quite ring right with me at first. And, and whenever you're reading the Puritans, um, you don't necessarily have to agree with everything they write. But when you find yourself in disagreement with these guys, um, hi Obed. Praying for you. I hope things are going well for you, man. And um, when things are, when you when you find yourself in somewhat of a disagreement with some Puritan writers, uh, at least be aware that you're on um, shaky ground. You need to make sure that you are correct in your assessment. Um, so I find, for the most part, that I misunderstood what he was talking about. And you have to hear this talk on. Uh, what's called exhortations to speedy repentance, again by Thomas Watson. <clears throat> um, particularly in um, I thinking about um, the need, because we had one talk we did, uh, one chapter he has on the need of Christians to repent, like an ongoing repentance for believers. And but this is it. It made it, it all made more sense when you start to think of this in terms of speaking to a non-believer. Um, inducements, exhortations um, to calling on someone who's not a believer to repent. And so it's an interesting thing because what you're doing is, um, if they're not believers, if they're not regenerate, then you're talking to people who really are um, at enmity with the gospel. They don't want to hear the gospel. They suppress the knowledge of God and their truth. Um, the God of this world has blinded their eyes and to keep them from seeing the light of the knowledge of God in Christ Jesus, in the face of Christ Jesus. Um, so, you know, so, but yet faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so how can they hear if they don't have faith and, and that sort of thing? So we understand that the spirit of God operates um, on non-believers in a similar way to the way Jesus called out to Lazarus to come forth. So Lazarus is dead. Um, Jesus is speaking to a dead man. Dead men can't hear anything. So how does that even work? And yet, at the command of Christ, Lazarus comes forth, similar to Ezekiel, talking about the valley of dry bones, can these bones live, prophesy of the bones, and, and then they started to come back to life, talking about you know, non-believers, people who are <clears throat> um, dead and they're you know, spiritually dead, and yet um, in the providence of God and the way God works in the salvation of sinners is um, there is a, an operation, and we call it, we have two types of calling. We have an external and internal calling we refer to. External calling is the world is called to repent of their sin. The world is said, you know, look at the heavens. They declare the glory of God. The, the, you know, God's glory 
God's presence, God's um, activity in the world is is cl- is clearly shown. Lots of things talks about it in the Book of Romans and Psalm 19 about um you know the the um, God declaring Himself even in the works of creation. But um, through the words of Scripture, the Holy Spirit works, and so as we're giving you know through the Spirit an external calling um, that can be resisted, um, and men will resist it unless the Spirit of God begins to work on the heart. The Spirit does an internal work. And what we're told is the Spirit does that work, particularly through His Word. And so, part of His Word is, part of the Gospel is calling people to repentance. That's called a, um, and the Shorter Catechism question is, um, you know, what is repentance? And it's called a, a saving grace. That it's a, a saving grace whereby a sinner repents of his sin and turns to um, the grace he sees in Jesus Christ. It's not exact quote of that catechism question, but it's close. Um, so that what we see is you're not saved by your repentance, you're saved by faith, but a, a fruit of that faith that God begins to work in your heart is um, repentance, turning from your sin and turning to Christ. And it is a a gracious work in the life of a believer, and in a life of a person whereby a person becomes a believer. Um, but that first step is recognition of our sin, recognition that God's right, I'm wrong, and I need to follow him. So when, we, when we're looking at this chapter, chapter 8, Thomas Watson, again, um, he's giving exhortations to speedy repentance. It, these are exhortations that are given in non-believers, it sounds like to me here, because this hasn't produced, they haven't seen the fruit of the Spirit in their life yet. They aren't necessarily saved. So when you're talking to a non-believer and you're t- sharing them the gospel, part of this is like, you know, why you should... Should repent now. Why you, and, you know, so Jameson popped in, I don't know if he's still there or not, though, but praying for you too. And, and in Haiti, one of the things we saw down there were, um, you know, talk to, you know, Dr. Malcolm there too, and he said, this is typical that you would talk to somebody there and um, they would say, they don't want to repent right now, but, you know, come tomorrow or come this Sunday at three o'clock and meet me and I'll repent then. And, um, and I thought, to me, that sounds like, wow, these people, it's, it's an odd thing, but it sounds like they're serious. So they say, come back and we'll do it. And maybe they have to get something in order or something. But um, he said, he said, nah, that's them putting you off. That's just them putting you off. You know, they probably won't be there when you show up. That's just them being nice and saying, you know, let's not talk about it now. We'll talk about it later. Which is exactly what um, Thomas Watson talks about here, this sort of thing. So um, as I was speaking to people there about, you know, you need to repent now. Today is the day of salvation. You know, it's like, don't put this off till later. Um, this is exactly what he's, he's dealing with here in, in chapter 8. So let's dig into it for just a minute. I, I only, I'm not reading the entire chapter. I just I go through and I highlight some sentences and things. And so um, he starts off by saying, um, the second branch of the exhortation, <clears throat> excuse me, the second branch of the exhortation is to press persons to speedy repentance. Um, and in Acts 17.30, he quotes, which says, Now God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. So this is for, you know, all men everywhere are called to repent. Um, he says, Be as speedy in your repentance as you would have Christ speedy in his mercies. Okay, so... You know, you want God to be merciful to you, and when we want mercy, we want it now. Like J.D. Wentworth, is that what it was? We want it now. And so, you know, if you want the mercy of God now, then you need to repent now. If, you, if you're if you willing to have the mercy of God put off until later, then, you know, take your time with it. But he's going to address this. He says, it is natural to us 
to procrastinate and to put off repentance. So it's the natural. This is what the natural. You're going to put this off. So it's natural. Many are now in hell. I mean, they don't cut corners. Like Many are now in hell that proposed, that purposed to repent. There are a lot of people in hell that said, I meant to repent. I was going to repent. There was going to be a time. I was going to do this later. A lot of people in hell like that. Satan does what he can to keep men from repentance. I was listening to a podcast today and they said there was a there were two Baptist guys. I don't know what this says about the Baptist church, but they said, um, when's the last time you heard a sermon on the influences of Satan on in the world, um, actually, you know, against a believer and against a church? And they were both like, never. It's like, come on, really? You never heard that? And um, so here it is right here. You know, it's like Satan's work in the world. He does this. He he does what he can to keep men from repentance. When he sees that they begin to take up serious thought of reformation, he bids them wait a little longer. If this traitor sin must die, says Satan, let it not die yet. Okay, so that's a, a, a ruse of Satan, of demons, of and the flesh and the world too. It's this whole thing is arrayed against us that the attempt to get people to put off repentance. You know, you can repent, you can put sin to death, just not right now. You'll do it, but not right now. Um, some of the C.S. Lewis deals with some of this and some of his works too. Let me therefore lay down some cogent arguments to persuade to speedy repentance because it's natural for men to put it off. He's going to give us some reasons to give to men to say, you know, don't. All right, here's one. One, now is the season of repentance and everything is best done in its season. Um, and he quotes 2 Corinthians 6 to now is the accepted time. Um, now God has a mind to show mercy to the penitent. So we live in days of grace. We live in a time when God has opened, um, as it is the ark, the floodwaters are coming, but the, the doors are open for all to come in. Um, today is the day of repentance. Now God promises pardon to the penitent sinner, to a person who's repentant. Now he's promising um, to give um, to pardon that sin. Therefore, come in now and make your peace with God. Break off your iniquities now by repentance. The husbandman, the husbandman, the farmer, um, takes the season for sowing his seed. Now is the seed time for our souls. So the door is open today. Now is the day of repentance. Two, the sooner you repent, the fewer sins you will have to answer for. Now, that was something that started to, to make me think. All right, wait a second. The sooner you repent, the sooner sins you'll have to answer for. But I don't have to answer for any of my sins. Like, that's not... So, but if you think about it as you're speaking to a non-believer, um, in that sense, then, then, then this makes sense. So he says, At the deathbed of an old sinner, where conscience begins to be awakened, you will hear him crying out, Here are all my old sins come about me, haunting my deathbed as so many evil spirits, and I have no discharge. Here is Satan, who was once my tempter, now become an accuser, and I have no advocate. I am now going to be dragged before God's judgment seat where I must receive my final doom. Oh, how dismal is the case of this man. He is in hell before his time. I'm not sure what that means. But you, and maybe he's in hell. Oh, he's in hell before he's actually died, actually. But you who repent betimes of your sinful courses, this is your privilege. You will have the less 
to answer for. Indeed, let me tell you, you will have nothing to answer for. Christ will answer for you. Your judge will be your advocate, 1 John 2, 1. Father, Christ will say, here is one that has been a great sinner, yet a broken-hearted sinner. If he owes anything to your justice, set it on my score. That's cool. And in uh, Romans chapter 8, we just studied last night, um, Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father, um, interceding for us. You know, So this is a part of the intercessory prayer of Christ is when we first become um, believers. So basically what he's saying is if you're waiting to your deathbed, to your final day, and you're like, well, then I'll repent. One of the problems with that is um, you may not have repentance, and what you may end up with is just... Satan accusing you, being accused, accused. Yeah, you'll feel your sin. You'll feel the guilt of it. But if you're if if you've been rejecting calls of repentance and faith and grace all your life, um, it's presumptive to presume that um, God's going to save you at the last. Um, if you're still what may, well, and He can save you at the last. But to presume upon that is is wrongheadedness. Because what you're going to have is if you're dying in your sin, um, you're going to have to answer for all of your sin. So. Um, but if you call on Christ, you have an advocate. You have to answer for any, any of your sins. Number three, the sooner we repent, the more glory we may bring to God. Now, this is an interesting um, thing. It's the end of our living. The, the purpose of our living is to be useful to our generation. It's something. I mean, in the <clears throat> Reformed faith, first catechism question is, what's the chief end of man, the chief purpose of man? And it's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So, you know, what he's saying here is that the chief end of our living or the end of our living is to be useful to our generation. So if the chief end of man is to glorify God, how do we best glorify God? by letting our good works be seen before men and giving glory to our Father in heaven, pointing others to Christ. The longer, the sooner you repent, the sooner you return to Christ, the longer you have to do that in your life. And so he's, he's adding this is another reason we should repent speedily. So, and then he talks about the thief on the cross. So the thief on the cross repents, he dies, but he's saved. You know, he's there on the cross and you can, he did, he waited till you know, last possible moments of his life. And, but he does repent and he, and, um, and Jesus says, today I tell you, be with me in paradise. So, But he says here, the thief on the cross could not do that service for God as St. Paul did. So, you know, be both sinners, but St. Paul had a long life to live. Um, you know, obviously a different calling. But, um, you know, the thief on the cross, yeah, he goes to heaven. But And I've heard people say, but he didn't have a life to live for Christ. What a, you know, he wasted life. And so I've heard people say, you know, it's not fair that some people get to live their entire lives as non-believers, however they want to live their lives, and then at the end of their life they repent, and then they get to go to heaven still. Where I've had to live my whole life, you know, as a Christian, and... Um, you know, so it's like, really? Maybe you weren't living your life as a Christian if you feel like it's been a burden, if you feel like it's been terrible, if you feel like if you had preferred to live as a sinner, um, your heart seems to be far from God. So our sorrow should be with a person who's put off repentance until the end. Imagine the sorrow of that person looking back. I mean, look back on your own life to your sinful uh, life in the past and think, you know, how the regrets... Imagine having regrets for, you know, 80, 90 years and turning to Christ at the end and looking back over 80, 90 years of life. You know, so this is what he's saying. Repent now. Um, turn to Christ soon so that you, you can um, you have a lot of life to live for, you know, for other people to be able to give glory to God. He says, such as have been honoring God all their lives have sweetly, how sweetly will they sleep in the grave. He's not talking about soul sleep, but he's just saying, you know, you're going to be 
at peace at your death. The more work we do for God, the greater will our reward be. He whose pound has gained ten pounds, Christ did not only commend him, but advance him. Have thou authority over ten cities. So he's talking about the, <clears throat> in the Bible, it talks about what's the kingdom of heaven like. It's like a man, it's called talents, but it's actually a, a, a unit of money. So, you know, someone was given one talent, another was given five talents, another was given ten. And so he comes back and says, what would you do with what I gave you? And the two guys <clears throat> that were given much had doubled it. And the one guy that had just had a little bit said, I buried it because I knew you were a hard taskmaster and you were going to reap where you didn't sow. So here's, I'm just giving you back what you gave me. And and, um, and the the master says to him, you know, you, you wicked servant, you should have at least put it in the bank where you could have earned interest. And he says, and so will it be in the last day to him who's been given much, much will be given. So um, there do appear to be rewards in heaven. And so you might think, well, heaven is its own reward. And yes and amen to be a, a doorkeeper in, in heaven. To be, You know, it's like just to be there is a great blessing. But he, God does tell us that there are rewards um, in heaven. And he's really just rewarding his own works in our lives and things, but it's it's, uh, it's it's given as a motivation for us to be able to endure sufferings because um, the, some of the his followers said to Christ that, um, you know, we've lost everything. We've left everything to follow you. What, what do we get? And he says, nobody's left anything. It's not going to be rewarded 10 times in this life and a life to come. He says, you know, your sacrifices you're making for me, um, those aren't sacrifices. You know, those are those are investments in, in, in you're, you're recognizing there's something better than what you have. And so, you know, this is what, uh, and, and we're rewarded for those things that the Spirit graciously um, bestows us the ability to do. All right, number four, it is of dangerous consequence to put off repentance longer. And he says, it's dangerous. If we consider what sin is, sin is a poison. It is dangerous to let poison lie long in the body. Sin is a bruise. If a bruise be not soon cured, it gangrenes and kills. Why should any love to dwell in the tents of wickedness? They are under the power of Satan. Acts 26, 18. And it is dangerous to stay long in the enemy's quarters. Delay strengthens sin and hardens the heart and gives the devil fuller possession. A plant at first may be easily plucked up, but when it has spread its roots deep in the earth, a whole team cannot remove it. It is hard to remove sin when once it comes to be rooted. The longer the ice freezes, the, harden it, the harder it is to be broken. It's dangerous to prorogue and delay repentance because there are three days that may soon expire. Okay, I kind of got to a next little point here. But <clears throat> so he's saying is the longer you wait to repent, the harder it is to repent. Now, um, he's again speaking this to um, people who have yet to repent, to non-believers. Now, we know as believers, uh, it's impossible for somebody to repent without the Spirit of God at work within them. But what he's saying is this is a work of the Spirit of God to call people to repentance and to help them to recognize it. Because they might say, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait. Uh, maybe next year, maybe you know, when I'm older or something. And it's like, and even as a believer, you have to know the longer you've lived in a sin, the harder it is to extricate that sin. I mean, it's, it's a, obviously a work of grace, obviously a work of the Spirit, but he works with us in this act of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Christ. And the sooner we repent of our sin, um, the, the the less hold it has on us. And so it's it's a it's a good exhortation to speedy repentance. And now and I think this is the end here. This is um, we're getting there, getting close. Um, 
All right, he says it's dangerous to put this off because there's three days that may soon expire. Okay, one, the day of the day of the gospel may expire. This is a sunshiny day. It is sweet but swift. I will not say the sun of the gospel is set in England, but I am sure it is under a cloud. So two things. One, the days of grace will end. There will be a time when you know the world is over and there's there is no more ability to repent. When when you die too for you as well, um, that's it. So the, the day will draw near. But and he's going to get to that in a bit. But um, he's talking about over nations, over different areas, and he was seeing in the England 1600s that even during his day, the uh, the grace of God seemed to be waning. And you know, if you look in different parts of our world now that used to be Christian nations, I mean, they're you know, turn from God, trying to, you know, um, France, even the home of, um, of Calvin, you know, it's trying to be, have to re-evangelize that. The United States becoming a post-Christian nation, how difficult it is for post-Christian nations. So, you know, we need to make sure we're repenting, that we're, we're preaching the gospel and doing all we can in our country. Um, and, and to call people to repent now, because if any, if the if the current trends seem to be, to hold in the United States, God's grace is is being lifted from this country because of the great sin of 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 our country of different kinds of sin, just people turning their backs on God, and um, so we need to call people to repent before God removes His pleasure. You know, as much common grace as there is here um, to repent. So, two, a man's personal day of grace may expire. Um, it's true no man can justly tell that his day of grace is past, but there are two shrewd signs by which he may fear it. So so God may be exerting a certain amount of grace towards you now, calling you to repent. You should do it because perhaps he lifts that from you. Um, a, when conscience has done preaching, so your conscience, your conscience, your conscience is a bosom preacher. So it's preaching in your own heart. Um, sometimes it convinces, sometimes it reproves. It said, "It says, as Nathan to David, you are the man. But men imprisoned this preacher, and God says to conscience, preach no more. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. Um, that's Revelation 22, 11. This is a fatal sign that a man's day of grace is past. There may come a time when, when God says, um, you know, turn you over to your sin. And that's a, a terrible thing. Three, uh, the day of life may expire. You might die, okay? Um, what security have we that we shall live another day? We're going off the stage. Say not that you will repent tomorrow, but some day. But some will say that they do not fear a sudden surprisal. Um, they will repent upon their sickbed. A, how do you know that you will have time of sickness? Death does not always shoot its warning piece by a lingering consumption. Some, it arrests suddenly. What if God should presently send you a summons to surrender your life? So you might die quick. B, suppose you should have a time of sickness. How do you know that you shall have the use of your senses? Okay, so you may be on your sick bed and not be able to even think about stuff like this. Three, suppose you should have your senses, but how do you know your mind will be in such a frame to work repentance? He said, talks about you might just be angry at stuff going on and be embittered and stuff and not want at all to, to repent. Um, and then finally here he says, how do you... How do you who put off all to a sick bed know that God will give you in that very juncture of time grace to repent? Um, are you sure that he'll come at your call? Therefore, make haste to repent. Let your work be ready before winter. Today, hear God's voice. And that was when it kind of got me. It's like, how do you know he'll come if you call? Well, it's interesting. I mean, um, Esau, was it that repented? I mean, it was too late. 
for him. So it's, it's kind of, you know, it's never too late for a sinner to repent. I guess one of the things may be, how do you know that God's going to be operating on you? you I'm going to put off repentance until my deathbed. Well, how do you know that grace is even going to be offered to you then? You know, if you if you feel the call of God on you now, now is the day of salvation. So as we're, as we're talking to non-believers and calling them to repentance and faith, um, one of the things, these are some things we need to be telling them. Today's a day of salvation. You aren't guaranteed tomorrow. If the grace of God is operating on you today, you need to you need to take advantage of this now. You can't put it off tomorrow. You're not guaranteed that. All these all these different um, things that when we're man and Satan, they want our flesh, and Satan would prefer us to put off repentance until tomorrow. You know, we'll we'll do it one day, one day, one day. But one day may never come. Um, so you, you work while the time is ripe. So we call people to repentance and faith. But remember, it's not just repentance. It's faith in Jesus Christ. It's turning from your sin, from your current life, the gods of this world, turning to Jesus Christ who freely offers salvation in his son. But it's, it's a... It, it, part of that saving grace of repent of faith, though, is recognition that I need Him to save me, which means I do have to admit I'm a sinner in need of this grace, and that it was my sin is terrible enough to demand um, the only substitute possible for my sin was God Himself become man and die for my sins. So. Um, I hope you're in Christ. I mean, if you're either in Christ or outside of Christ, and if you're outside of Christ, you're without hope in this world. So repent now. Turn to Christ. Make sure you're in Christ. That's the most important thing that you can think about. Am I in Christ or am I outside of Christ? And if you find yourself and you believe you're in Christ or you're not sure, find a church that believes the Bible, that the whole Bible it's called plenary verbal inspiration, that we believe the Bible is the Word of God from beginning to end, that if it says it, that settles it. Every writer is, is breathed, every word of the Bible is breathed out by God, is profitable for teaching and preaching and exhortation, and that it has the power to save. Find a church that believes that, understands the gospel, and knows that um, we're all, at best, unprofitable servants, that without Christ we're lost forever, and that in Christ we're all brothers and sisters um, in Christ, and we're to encourage one another, and all the more as we see the day approaching. I'd say find a Bible-believing, Jesus-worshipping, Trinitarian church, and um, become a part of it, an active member of it, and use your gifts in service there to the best of your ability, um, and you will not regret that. Um, we're doing this on podcast now, so if you search Second Street uh, PCA, that's where we put the sermons. If you search for um, Theology Thursday Live, you'll find these things. So, um, you know, anyway, like it, share it, let people know about it, and uh, mostly pray. And if you have questions, let me know. We'd love to do a question-answer thing, and uh, but we do um, just pray you'll find a church and become a part of it. God bless.